I also think it just sucks for the women who enjoyed going. I mean, the same for us. It doesn't matter if you're the wing or the rowan tree. Um, there's there's a hole. There is a palpable hole where we were, and there's a hole where the wing was. And unless there's something else like it, there's nothing else like coming to a community that is built for women by women. And there is and every place is going to have its own vibe but all i can say is a lot of the women who did go to the wing loved it and i know that they miss it from sesh co-working this is oh yes we can okay so here we are in the next episode we are now discussing the fall of the wing last episode we discussed their rise and we ended at the end of 2019 we are now at the beginning of 2020 and we all, it's January, 2020. We all have been there. We survived barely and the skin of our teeth. We know what's coming. So in January of 2020, I think maybe we were also knew what was coming because they sold their stake in the wing. They sold their $32 million share. What did they know or find out? Right? The wing carried <laughs> on. They opened their number 11 location in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I mean, it takes a lot more than that to stop a bullet train from going at full speed. Yeah, so. that was their fifth wing location in the New York City area. And that opened in February of 2020. Then comes March. We all know COVID arrives in March and that the wing, like so many other businesses across the globe, closes all of their locations and they suspend all memberships, which I was happy to read when they did that. We did the same thing. We were like, no, you don't need to pay for something that you're not going to use. And I do remember other people being like, no, don't do that. And I'm like, but the world is ending. <laughs> People need all the dollars. Let them have the dollars. Hug your children close. They ain't coming in here today. Yeah. You know, like I was just like, ah. Well, we have a couple different uh, friends through our networking uh, network group of female-owned co-working spaces across the country. And some of them did do it. And they, everybody had a different approach. But we knew that that was the right one for us. Right. Exactly. So we get into late spring, going into June of 2020, and the outcry of police brutality against black people reaches a tipping point with the murder of George Floyd, igniting mass demonstrations across the world. And sadly, the wing faces complaints of racist behavior by members, and there's an employee walkout, which results in founding member, lovely socialite, Audrey Gelman, to resign. Ouch. Ouch. I mean, we I talked about this in the last episode where it was like, what are you doing with these applications? Right, right. What are the, like, what are your signifiers that are, what are your qualifiers, I should say. I mean, I just, it's hard to imagine how gathering a room of the most wealthy, elitist folks can result in racist behavior. Oh. So all of this all of this happened in June. Like the people calling out and her resigning happened within the month. Yeah, she resigned quite quickly. Yeah. Okay. 
What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. Like, she jumped ship pretty fast. Like, did she think it could get worse? And she's like, let me leave now. So I think she was pushed out. So I, I remember feeling like when we reopened, and we reopened uh, in, in June. In June, and they didn't. And they kept waiting and waiting and waiting to they reopen. They kept putting, yeah, they kind of kept acting like it was coming, but and it it just it it kept not happening. And I kind of remember being like, "People need you. Where are you? You say you're here to uplift and support this female-based community, and you're not showing up." Right. It was like radio silence from them. Completely. And that's kind of how I, I feel like that's in line with her just. Like Coco said, jumping ship. I don't know. Was she, did she jump or was she pushed? <laughs> Just a few minutes ago, Meredith mentioned a group of female-founded co-working spaces that we talk to on a regular basis. Well, we talked to some of them to get their take on the wing closing. Up next, you're going to hear from our friends at the Rowan Tree share their thoughts. Now, my second question is about the wing. Um, they opened in 2016. They came to much fame and notoriety on a global scale and raised lots of money. And then when the pandemic hit, they just closed. And it took forever in, I think, my mind, it took forever for them to reopen. And then it just kind of like, it was like they were a fish out of water for a while, and then they closed. Um, did y'all have any thoughts and or feelings around kind of their opening and their closing or anything of their? Yeah. Story? I mean, I I have a lot of mixed feelings, actually. You know, when yeah. we first started and they were still relatively new, um, I don't idolized isn't the right word, but we definitely looked up to them. They were paving the way. They were trailblazers in the space between the wing and the riveter. They were really like the two big names out there doing this. And we weren't aware of all the little smaller places um, that were popping up. And so we definitely looked to them um, as we wanted to follow some of their model. I also felt a little jealousy because they had, you know, so much funding and, and celebrity support. Um, but we also knew from the beginning, we didn't want to be exclusive like they were. And we were not women only. We were women focused from the get-go because we wanted it to be an inclusive and welcoming place for all. So we it was good to be able to say, okay, here they are, they're doing great things. And this is how we align and this is how we want to separate ourselves. Um, when they closed during the pandemic um, and we were all sort of, hanging I picture the little cat hanging from the branch you know the hang in there cat um <laughs> you know I definitely was like well isn't that nice they just get to shut their doors um but I also don't understand the or I'm not in their shoes from the perspective of having to report back to a board of advisors and to have investors to report to it was hard enough for us to to keep up you know with our landlord um, so I know that I, I don't have their full perspective, but it was frustrating to me to not that they just were able to shut the doors, whereas we all had to fight tooth and nail to, to stay open. Now back to our timeline. We left off in June of 2020. 
So at the same time, we just mentioned the sesh has reopened its doors and we are offering complimentary use of our Montrose location to nonprofits fighting social injustice. August of 2020 brings the wing another blow. They permanently close their London location and simultaneously lay off 300 employees. And that's 300 employees over how many locations? 11? Uh-huh. That's well, now 10. Now 10 because London's closed. Well, so so you got 27 people per location. I mean, obviously some jobs aren't going to be just assigned by location. Some jobs will be like that global role that right. global, but at least, right? Cuz this is how many people they laid off. Right. So, of course so they, they have more. There's more. Okay. In that 22,000 square foot headquarters. I mean, I know we would all love our own personal assistance, but like even then that brings Sesh's team to like 10. <laughs> or maybe 12. <clears throat> I don't know. That's that's crazy to me. It it reminds me of the role at WeWork whose person their entire job was picking which fruit was going to go in the water each day and sending out the quote-unquote recipes. Do you remember that? And I just was like flabbergasted like why just, why can't whatever's in season just fucking throw it in there there's no there's no combo needed there's no recipe needed there's no job needed for this just put some fucking fruit in the water and you're done mm-hmm. put the fruit in the water and you're done people were not satisfied because of that yeah. they, they said w- it wasn't enough they wanted more right mm-hmm. what else did they want they had a list of demand but simply put what does it say can you read this um, simply put, the wing doesn't practice the intersectional feminism that it preaches to the rest of the world. My colleagues and I have made a list of demands in order to correct this egregious fact, and today we're participating in a digital walkout in solidarity with the people without whom the wing would not exist, particularly our black and brown co-workers. Wow. Yeah, it's that intersectional feminism. They don't embody that at all. No, it's just a show. It's just a mask. So Mm -hmm. we fast forward a little bit further into 2020. In late October, while Sesha's business is slowly beginning to have a pulse, um, (laughs) the wing, we hear rumors that the wing may be facing bankruptcy. Go a little bit further. Further, you're now in mid-February of 2021, and a press release announces that co-working giant IWG buys a majority stake in the company, investing a rumored additional $100 million to try and save the business. Mind blown. Do they just have a paper shredder that they just shred cash on? I think they just went down the highway and like opened the window and was just like with their money. It's just just um like, like a, I'm picturing like money rolled up like a t-shirt gun just blasting it out all over the city. So throughout 2021, several more wing locations closed permanently while the company struggles to regain its membership. So 
Here's what I want to talk about. Let's do the math really quick, right? Their all access membership is $250. 250? 250. Okay. At the top, at the peak of their business, they said they had 12,000 members. Okay. So a member's annual cost is about $3,000. They were making about $2.5 million a year. That's $250,000 per month. But that's across eight. The, the, all the locations, right? So what does that break down per location? I, I, did, I didn't do that math. I just did the other math. So it's two. two. <laughs> well, because here's the thing, right? My question is, is like, when was that peak? When did they have the 12,000 members? And at that point, how many locations they had, did they right, have? Right. Because like London never really got off the ground. Right, which was number 11. And number 10 was almost at the same time. So it's just like, how many locations did you actually have when you had 12,000 people? Mm. And did you actually have 12,000 people? Because you only accept 8% of your applicants. Right. And can you clarify, you were saying that that 2.5, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. That is, that's just revenue. That's not profit. Right. 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 So they still have to pay. All the rent, overhead, employees, all, oh my god, all, all the places, all the employees alone. You've got 300 employees at That's least. easily more than $2.5 million. Yeah, I know. Were you not paying people shit? I, I, if I remember correctly, I think that was one of the complaints. Mm. Is that they weren't paying people. They were paying them like whatever minimum wage at the time was, which we all know minimum wage, depending on what state you're in, can be as low as like seven dollars. You know, it's like seven twenty-five here or seven something here. Do you know what it is here, Coco? Um, when I was working, it was seven twenty-five. I don't think it's gone up over eight. I don't think it has in Texas. I mean, that's not a livable wage. No. This elitist space that prides itself on being like exclusive and high end, but they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. So in February of 2022, the wing tries to recover from their PR woes by appointing Jen Cho as the new CEO. Meanwhile, because Audrey's gone, she's been gone since June. She has reignited her entrepreneurial bug and spirit into a new business. And I think it, it aligns herself a little bit with Adam Newman from WeWork, right? Because like he just recently did this whole new thing. Her new business, Mary, you know, is a it's like a cottage chic homeware store in Cobble Hill, which is a very affluent Brooklyn neighborhood. The she got extensive media coverage from it. Uh, I think she was featured in was she featured in Vogue or Vanity Fair? Something. Because that's where I read the article, and I was thinking to myself, why in God's name okay. is this magazine writing an article about a vintage shop in Brooklyn? So, her she, it resulted in bad media coverage because come to find out, the vintage store was based on a fictional English village. 
and its inhabitants who had cringy racist histories. What? She made up a story of a village and then based her store on it. And there's like profiles of these people who live in the town and the people have like racist characteristics. So she made that choice. Correct. Why? Did she say that the town was real? No. It's fictional. So she made up a fictional town, said it was fictional, but gave the characters and, and created people that lived in the town. So created these little avatars that were like cringy and racist? Mm-hmm. The look on your two faces. Because I'm like, what does this look like? It's a furniture store. It's it's like linens and uh, home decor. Is it napkins. like a village or is it just a store with the branding that, oh, this is from a village? It's. And where are these people? They don't exist. But are there pictures of these fake people? Are there. Yeah, there, there's like a um, little book where they're like in it. I don't know. I'll have to find it and show it to you. Um, then, okay, like there's two cons- there's two things I'm concerned with here. One, was she scamming the public and making it seem like the people like it's just like was she scamming the public into thinking that this was based off a real town with real people? That's my first question. And second of all, she created them all to have really racist backstories? Who does this appeal to? Right. Well, apparently, all of her stuff was, like, super expensive. Well, yeah, because it's... I mean, it's Brooklyn, right? Like, Mm -hmm. she's got rent to pay. But, I don't know. Talk about a pivot weirdness right there. Like, she, she went from... Co-working to cottage chic racism. I don't know. You know what it sounds like to me? The thing she is good at is creating a story. And that's important when you run a business, when you create a brand. You want, it's captivating, right? You want to have a story. And you that's a part of your business, and I think that's okay, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. We have a story in Sesh. The problem is everything stopped at her story. It didn't go beyond. It didn't do the things there was she no, said she was trying to do. Right. There was no, like, it was just a story. Reality. It's just a story. Yeah. So. No reality. By August of 2022, the wing has fallen. All six remaining locations are permanently closed. Fast forward to October of 2022, and BitsNow's weekly co-working letter, newsletter lands in Meredith and I's inbox with the headline that Gelman is being sued for $1.7 million in background by the landlord of the Wing's former location at 52 Mercer Street. And that's how this whole podcast episode got started. Because we were like, what the hell? What is she being sued for? Back rent. So basically, oh. she walked out on all of her visas. Oh. The similarities between her and Adam Newman are just bonkers. 
Right. Whether or not she chose to imitate him. Yeah. Or they just happened to be so characteristically alike and like-minded with their charisma and their ability to tell stories and to bring people in who have money and... Right. So what this ended up resulting in was Meredith and I doing a lot of investigation and looking into all of these six remaining locations, which most of are currently on the market and are completely furnished like the way. Coco's giving Meredith some... It's because I'm looking at the website of the Cottage Core store. It's a cute thing, Ian, but like... It would have been, I don't know, the people. I'm looking at the people now. We're going to dig into these people in a little bit. <laughs> okay. So basically, Meredith and I got a hold of the floor plans. We reached out to some brokers, and we kind of figured out, like, what went wrong. So here's how it happened. We, You're like, should I email the broker? It's listed. On Loopnet. Is it Loopnet? Loopnet, or what's the other one? Starts with a C. Core? I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I can't even know. And I'm like, yeah, do it. And, and then, then they emailed. In like 20 minutes, the email comes back. Ping! Oh, shit, they wrote back. So we open up these floor plans that they sent to us. And immediately, we're like, well, no wonder this thing went under. Like, the whole space, it was not monetized at all. There was no office. They Okay, am I, am I supposed to get into Yeah, office? just dig because in. It just, like, gets me going. Like, I just couldn't imagine. They had these, like, massive salon areas with, like, Where you could five get a blowout. to seven chairs to get a blowout, which is, like, a cute thing to have, but you probably only need one chair because you're not a salon. So even if you have 400, 500 members on up to a thousand members, how many people are really getting a blowout? At the same time. At the same time. From your location. Outside of the fact that's a totally different business model. It's a totally different business model. Like you have no idea how to run a, I'm I'm gonna use a dry bar as an example. Right, right. Like you're layering in too many other businesses. And then they only had like one or two conference rooms. Yeah. They also, we noticed in several of the locations, um, had fully built out commercial kitchens with like a seated counter where people could be like, served like it was a cafe. And we were just like, what? Do you know how many people you would need? Because they weren't open to the public. It's no, not like it wasn't some... even at street level on that one location. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was above a Sprouts. Yeah, grocery the store. One that was in Hollywood, I think, right? Um, right. Like the amount of people you would have to. So first of all, you've got to take that internal because you can't convince a, a third party to come in. Like you, you'd have to have so many people. You have to let outside or let outside people in, and then so then you're taking it on yourself, and then again you're layering in another business model. Well, so the other things that we also which if you've ever seen any of the imagery from their previous existing locations, they had high-end 
fancy oh, furniture. So fancy. Expensive AF. Like, like you can get really nice stuff. Like, I'm not saying buy cheap things that like people don't want to sit on. You can buy comfortable, really good looking furniture. Like all the, of our stuff. The is whole from floor plan. The whole floor plan was set out in like these cute, cozy, soft, cushy vignettes. And if you've ever been to Sesh, people hardly ever sit in those. They might sit if they're like talking with a couple friends or every once in a while people want to sit there and like get cozy. But majority of the time they, they wanted a table. Need? Yeah, what is it that they normally need? They need a desk or they need an actual table. Uh, they they I was like because they're the here to work on Instagram and I was like, this doesn't look like a place that I could even focus in. Like this looks like a relaxed like I would come here and relax, oh, but like sitting on my laptop and working, that doesn't look possible. I don't think that they were actually co-working. They weren't okay. really co-working. It was a social club. Yeah. Well, and then your favorite co-working space is in their bio. I know, but they lie. That's they why lie. they closed. They lie. I think another thing that we noticed is that all of their locations were in like high prime real estate neighborhoods, which leads to super expensive rent. I call it the sexy, the sexy cities, the sexy neighborhoods. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, you, you want to be in a good neighborhood, right? Because location is so important. Oh Just based on the matter of convenience of getting to your location. Yeah. But what comes with those areas is like maybe people aren't doing business in those areas. And if it's just a social club, well, then are you going to even have enough members to support the kind of growth that they were, I guess, pretending to have? Right. I don't know. Um, the other thing I noticed a lot, they had celebrity endorsements. Oh, it seems like... So many celebrity <laughs> <laughs> Read what your notes say. Uh, that shit ain't free. Hey, like you are not gonna get these, like the Hillary Clintons or, they had Hillary Clinton. Oh yeah, she came and did like a talk, and that was Um, a big draw. So that's where all that money went, not to the employees. Well, yeah. I mean, like again, if that's your strategy, fine. But is there real activism behind it? Is there real like? Is this just another, it reminds me of just another like fancy political donor's dinner, right? Yeah, it's just but a what's facade. The point if you're not even gonna accept people to come, like you want, right? <laughs> right, it's not opened up to everybody. And like you said, you're, you're not taking care of your employees. I am to please. Oh, oh, thank you, Siri. <laughs> thank we you. do wow. too. Siri, well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is Siri from <laughs> It's great to have you here, Siri. Tell me about your thoughts on the wing. One last final note about their headquarters. I, I bring it back up because the wing had 11 locations. They didn't count the headquarters as their quote-unquote 12th location because it was technically actually, I guess, their office. Corporate office. Corporate office. 22,000 square feet. Oh, my God. I mean... We, uh, I mean, our reception area is giant. And that makes me feel like 
we are just living large, you know, to be able to have a reception area that isn't behind that little bitty tiny rolling cart yeah. <laughs> of a desk. Yeah. yeah. And his, the headquarters was filled with just chairs and bookshelves. I'm looking at pictures now. Of There's the headquarters? No, this is the headquarters. There's no oh, they had a, filling it up. Okay, in-house interior design team. There's like, where did their people actually fucking work? But also, let's just think about this. They took over a space that was, most of their locations were between like 6,000 and 11,000 square feet. So they took a location double the size of what their members use. For themselves. For themselves. It's all about how it looks. It's all about the show. Yeah. The facade. So I guess what this all, like... It's like nothing. It's just chairs. There's chairs and bookshelves. Pretty Instagram pictures, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and the facade for the investors. Right. Because why... Look Look at how successful we are. Look at how pretty it is. Why focus mm-hmm. on revenue generation when you get money so easily from investors to just keep growing? Where, where's your incentive to actually generate sustainable revenue from each of your locations. Which is, I think, brings us to like the end of our discussion, which is, you know, why is this important? Does it matter? Well, it matters to you and I greatly. Well <laughs> right. As as I don't I still don't think they're a co-working space, but for the sake of the matter, as a female owned and one that is incredible like really focus on inclusive environments and workplaces and what that means for to have an equitable workspace. So it matters very much to us in that. Meredith's point that in terms of a global workspace, the wings closure matter to all of us here at Sesh. That also aligns with our friends Amy and Kate, the founders of Rowan Tree, another female-focused co-working space that sadly closed at the end of 2022. Let's hear from Amy and Kate and what they have to say about the gap that the closure of these communities leaves nationally. I think their overarching goal originally was in the right place, um, and I'm ultimately sad to see for a multitude of reasons that it wasn't able to be what the original intention maybe was um and it wasn't able to support in the ways that we support um you support all of the other small niche female focused co-working spaces support women and really lift them up and so that makes me sad that that was not able to ever really come in um, into play the way that the original intent was um yeah I also think it just sucks for the women who enjoy going I mean the same for us it doesn't matter if you're the wing or the rowan tree um there's there's a hole there is a palpable hole where we were and there's a hole where the wing was and unless there's something else like it there's nothing else like coming to a community that is built for women by women and there is, and every place is going to have its own vibe, but all I can say is a lot of the women who did go to the wing loved it. And I know that they miss it. 
and it wasn't able to support in the ways that we support, um, you support all of the other small niche female focused co-working spaces support women and really lift them up. And so that makes me sad that that was not able to ever really come in, um, into play the way that the original intent was. Um, yeah, and I also think it just sucks for the women who enjoy going. I mean, the same for us. It doesn't matter if you're the wing or the rowan tree. Um, there's there's a hole. There is a palpable hole where we were, and there's a hole where the wing was. And unless there's something else like it, there's nothing else like coming to a community that is built for women by women. And there is. And every place is going to have its own vibe, but all I can say is a lot of the women who did go to the wing loved it, and I know that they miss it, and I know that people miss Rowan Tree. It's, there is, there's something to be said about the power of having a place to go, and just, it is your default, and renting a private office is just not, it's just not the same. And so I'm sorry for the the people who were dependent on it. It definitely for us, I think we we did look up to them as well, just like that they were trailblazers and they did kind of pave the way because they were one of the first um, to receive all that funding and expand so rapidly to so many different locations. Um, but hopefully that's a learning lesson for those of us that are left, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we said that because watching their expansion and then failure and then watching the Riveter expand and flounder and switch gears and figure out what was happening, we definitely took a step back. And because we were originally like, let's expand, let's open multiple locations. We were like, whoa, something happens here when you take that leap that really is a separator. And and there there seems to be a gap between creating something small and intimate and wonderful and having the investment to create something large scale. And so mm -hmm. there has to be something in between. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why the sesh is so awesome too, is there's something to be said, like bigger isn't always necessarily better. Like faster isn't always necessarily better. I think thoughtfulness, um, you know, grit, like heart, authenticity. I mean, there's something to be said about starting small and building out in a quiet and thoughtful, not quiet, because you guys aren't quiet. You are rebellious and amazing, but it's it's a you have a humility. And I think there's something really powerful about that. And I'm curious to see, you know, is that more sustaining? I I, I think it will be. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you're building something, but I feel like you're building it with care and intent. And we watched when people didn't quite take that same approach it, you cannot capture that magic in a bottle and so if it's something you want to it depends what your motivations are but if your motivation is to create something that is long lasting it might not bring in millions of dollars but it might bring in all sorts of other value and hopefully a good a good income you know like you can take good vacations but you know i just think it reminds us that we're in this world of so, so much bigness and trying to just impress everyone. And really that's not maybe always the right way to go. And so I really admire what Sesh is doing. I think you are really setting a beautiful example for a lot of us out there. So hats off to you. I'm excited for you all.
Thank you. It's nerve wracking one day at a time. Um, it is very nerve wracking. Yeah. It sounds like Amy and Kate align with the SESH team on how the closure of the wing impacts female founders and our communities. But I think the other thing is it makes, it's just another female founder making the rest of us look bad. It's just another hurdle it to overcome. It, yeah. Not, and, go ahead. And I was going to say, not even just like in like whether that's the co-working and or real estate industry. It's more of like this was splashed all over the headlines for years and years. And now like it makes it feel like we as female founders have more to prove. Right. And I was going to, the thing I was going to say was it's not that they failed. Businesses fail all the time. Like if they had given an honest go and failed, we would have been like, okay, that really sucks for them. And I'm sorry to hear that. But they walked that fine line of like, are you a business or are you a scam? Right. And I think that it feels more like a scam that they were just trying to pull the wool over all our eyes when really, instead of being this feminist, equitable push in society, they were just doing all the same hurtful shit and taking money and being rewarded for it. Every time we like learn something new about something that they did, I'd be like, what's the point? But the point is obvious in that this is like a, a success for her. Like, this is a huge resume. Like, she, I don't know, things like maybe the point for her was just to have this cool thing that she did. And it makes her look good and it makes her money. But like, nothing further than that. Right. Good for her and only her. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well. Don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, welcome back to uh, season three, and we can't wait to bring you more stuff on our podcast this season and in season four. Peace out. Peace. Hey, it's Maggie from Sesh. Gotta have a moment of honesty with you. These last few years have taken a toll on Meredith and I as female leaders and change makers. We're tired of the stagnant and negative vibes in the news. So we're ready to act. Join us on our first ever International Women's Day Luncheon hosted on March 8th, right here at SESH. You can of course expect delicious food for lunch as well as an intimate panel on the changing narrative of feminism from silo to intersectionality. We ask that you come ready to participate in not just the networking, but also some intentional activations that will help us all self-identify the multifaceted creatures that we are. Attendees will leave our luncheon uplifted and energized, ready to lead from a place of vulnerability and authenticity. So if you wanna join us on March 8th for our International Women's Day Luncheon, visit seshcoworking.com slash events, and we'll see you there.